Welcome to the Highland Good Food Podcast. I'm Emma and in this episode I'm going to share with you some of the highlights from the Highland Good Food Conference. The conference ran over five cold, wintry Monday afternoons in January and February. We were joined by over 90 delegates from all corners of the Highlands and beyond and we had representatives from a range of roles within the food sector too. And this led to some really interesting conversations and sparked many new relationships. Together, we defined a vision of good food here in the Highlands in 2030 and identified key values that should underpin our good food system. We collectively developed an action plan to drive forward this vision. To help us reimagine our food system and to inspire us to think ambitiously and creatively, over the five weeks, we were joined by 21 speakers who all shared a five-minute provocation. We had a super mixture of thinkers and doers, and they all certainly left us with lots to consider. The whole purpose of this conference was to get people together who wanted to take action, who wanted to drive forward change and be part of creating a food system that is better for people, better for the planet and better for our producers. The Collective Vision is a Highland food system that is a resilient and regenerative network of farms and producers built on diversity, interconnectedness and fairness to support health and well-being for all. The two key values that stand out for me from the discussions are diversity and collaboration. Diversity brings resilience to any system and it is imperative for all parts of the food sector. From diversity of seed, plants and animals, diversity within farms and land use, right through to diversity in our retail offer. Whether that be veg box schemes, online markets, pop-up shops or bricks and mortar buildings. We also need diversity in our diet to sustain our health and our biosphere depends on it too. I don't think we can overestimate the importance of diversity. Our lives and the health of the planet depend on it. The second key value was collaboration. This came out of all of the discussions. There are lots of amazing things going on across the Highlands, but people realise that only through working together can we really achieve a food system that is fair to all. The delegates were super passionate about the power we have if we work together. The Highland Good Food team will now prioritise setting up a partnership to bring everyone together. It really is an exciting time ahead. Our first provocation on day one was from Pete Ritchie, the Executive Director at Nourish Scotland and Organic Farmer at Whitmuir in the Scottish Borders. Pete set the tone for the whole conference with his big, very ambitious idea of the Highlands becoming the Mediterranean of the North. Pete challenged the delegates to think about developing a glasshouse sector powered by renewable energy to grow a range of Mediterranean vegetables all year round. He suggested, why not grow the vegetables and the food that you actually want to eat? He also encouraged the delegates to look at other Northern European countries to see what they're doing and be inspired by activities of Finland and Iceland, who have fantastic glasshouse sectors. So now we'll hear direct from Pete and hear part of his provocation. So Finland, again, not the warmest of places. Just looking on the map, it looks a bit chilly to me and quite dark quite a lot of the year, quite like highlands in many ways. They have the same amount of field crops, veg, that we do, 20,000 hectares, roughly speaking, of field crops that grow onions and carrots and things like that. Same as Scotland. They have 394 hectares of glass houses, right? I think we have two in Scotland. So anyway, we don't have a lot in Scotland. We don't have a glass house industry. We could have a glass house industry. 
And certainly if we had that sort of 400 hectares of glasshouse, if we start to be able to produce a lot more our own med veg. But the point is you've got a space that's 70 degrees all the year round, you know, and that you can light and do what you like in. You can create all, all the year round jobs. Anyway, the energy use to heat those glasshouses, I've worked out is 0.25 of a percent of the current installed wind energy that we generate in Scotland, 0.25%. And as you know, we're about to triple the amount of energy installed in wind in Scotland. So we're about to triple that at the moment with the current installed capacity is 0.25%. And as you know, those turbines run all night. So there's something we can do with some of that electricity. Anyway, I'm going to leave you with that provocation. Have a think about your Mediterranean vegetables, but the Mediterranean in the north, here we come. So not surprisingly, Pete successfully managed to inspire a group of delegates to drive forward the idea of developing a glasshouse sector here in the Highlands. And from week two of the conference, they have been working really hard to develop this project and already have great plans for this coming year. We will do our best to keep you up to date of their progress. I'm personally super passionate about community growing and the role it has in a sustainable food system. A healthy food system has people at the heart of it. And next we're going to hear from Karen Davidson from Social Farms and Gardens and she also shares this passion. If we want to improve access to local and sustainable food in the Highlands, we need to build a market for it. Not just customers, but as participants. Many with a genuine desire for good food and some to take part in building a better system. We need more citizens to connect with food, to want better food and the opportunity to participate in a Highland diet. We say there is a great appetite for change to our food system. However, we as a population are not hungry enough for this. We are happy with what we have, or we are worried where our next meal is coming from, or we don't even see that it is even possible to change the system. So we need to build a market for it. Food is our biggest agent for change that we have, and boy, do we need a lot of things to change. It is a big uniter that we all have in common. We all eat. We need to make it more relevant and live for everybody so they can see it as a local system. In a time where there is an abundance of other local, global, and existential challenges, how can we get food to take the lead? Food is a common thread linking all 17 sustainable development goals. It has a couple of headlines and weaves in and out of all the others. It needs this prominence to be seen as a uniter of a range of issues and emergencies we face. So how do we do that and get this mass engagement we need to succeed and to build a better system? There are some key solutions for doing this. However, I'm here to say, let's take back a step. What does food all have in common with itself? It needs to grow. It needs people to grow it. So here is my solution, growing in the community. Provide opportunities to get everyone growing or taking care of something in nature in their local neighborhood. Being involved in community growing for the last five years on the sort of system side of it, I'm amazed what it has to offer and how it can hide its light under a bushel. However, with the light of COVID-19 shining on it, its time has come. From growing food in a community garden or allotment to tending a local woodland or your garden at home, they all provide a multitude of nature-based benefits, improve lives and places, and they can and usually do involve food. From windowsill herbs to forest gardens and community-supported agriculture. So where can we plant the seeds for system change for food? How can we address a range of food-related issues from soil health, healthier food choices, and food security? 
It is by getting people to learn by doing, to take part in climate and nature action, improve the physical and mental well-being, make social connections and build community cohesion, provide opportunities and sites to learn and develop a wide range of skills, get people outdoors and working together to recover and renew from COVID-19 and grow back stronger. That's all you can do in community growing and more. Community growing is where we can do mass planting of these ideas of engagement. Collective activities involving growing will plant and spread the seeds between people, organizations, sectors and society and accelerate the change we need and want. Next up is Robin Haig, a crofter from the parish of Kintail. I absolutely loved this provocation as it summed up the essence of the conference for me. One of the things that I do on my craft is I do micro scale egg production. So I have 20 hens and 10 customers and my eggs reach about 30 mouths. And how it works is I have a WhatsApp group and my customers place their orders through the Carcroft egg group. And then they let me know when they're going to be passing the croft and I put the eggs out into the mailbox that's at the end of the drive. I put the eggs into the mailbox and then out of the mailbox, I get empty egg cartons and money. The benefits to my customers of my eggs is that they get great quality eggs from really happy, healthy, organically fed hens. And that they have the feeling when they eat my eggs, they have the feeling that they're eating something which is well produced and well cared for. And that they're part of a short food supply chain. I don't really make a profit from selling my eggs. But I don't do it to make money. I do it to keep hens and to pay for my own egg consumption. So by selling my eggs, I allow myself and my family to have a supply of really good quality eggs. And in turn, my hens give me fabulous manure, which I put on my garden, which then in turn gives me brilliant quality fruit and veg. So I just want to talk about the mailbox. And this mailbox really is a food system. And it has also become the hub of the hillside. So we are quite um, an isolated croft, but this mailbox is absolutely at the heart. And there's almost not a day goes by where I don't have some kind of conversation or blether out by the mailbox. So what I'm proposing is that a couple of hens and American style mailbox 500 feet up a mountain is a food system. And so the idea that I would like to share with you guys today is that food production can also be micro scale. So it can be a lot of people doing a little. And that if food in the Highlands is to be good, then it's not about the food, but about what food enables. And food enables community. And community is human connection. And human connection is the fundamental basis of life. So maybe what we could ask ourselves is not, where do we get our food, but who do we get our food from? This left me thinking about food systems and the role of community in a completely different way. Now I'd like you to hear from Anna Alamand from the Soil Association. Anna makes a really, really good point in her provocation about language and how we can use it to bring people together and increase our understanding of others. Working together is key, but not everyone is coming from the same place or background, so we really do need to make an effort to try and understand others. And Anna makes some really, really valued points on this front. I've been in agriculture all my life, but it's mostly been traditional agriculture. And it's only a couple of years since I started sort of like getting involved into regenerative agriculture and what it involves. But 
it's that sense of urgency. Things need to change. And that became pretty apparent while I was doing my work in traditional agriculture back in Chile. I'm originally from Chile. I thought maybe for this five minutes, it was better just to bring you a, a strong idea that has really helped me bring people who are actually not yet convinced by agroecology or, or regenerative agriculture into the ideas that we're discussing and how to make a more sustainable, healthier farming moving ahead. So one idea that has really helped me to get to where we want to be in 2030. And that idea is pretty simple, but I struggle with it. And it's just resignifying language of other people to say what you want to say. It sounds quite complicated, but it's actually pretty simple. It's just using the words that they're already using to explain what you want to sort of like get them on board with. My example is my nemesis. My dad is my nemesis. My dad has been in traditional agriculture all his life. And when I started talking about regenerative agriculture, it was almost a little bit of a betrayal for him. Because as far as he's concerned, and as far as most of the farmers that are traditional farmers, which are most of the farmers out there, uh, most of those people, when you come and tell them that the system needs to change in a way they feel that they've done something wrong and that you're telling them that their life has actually, up until this point, followed a very wrong turn, they're destroying Earth, we need to change it. So how do you make it so that you can get engaged with them? My dad doesn't see farms as anything much more than producing fruit. So when I came to him with the idea of, well, farms are actually infrastructure that provide the basics for society. So I went and found out exactly what infrastructure means because I was like, I don't want to make mistakes with this. And the, the actual wording is the basic systems and services such as transport and power supplies that a country or organization uses in order to work effectively. I'm not sure about you, but definitely like what is more infrastructure than healthy soils, than clean water, than clean air, than healthy food. So when I was talking to him, I sort of like reframed his farm as a potential infrastructure that could be used. And all of a sudden he was seeing the value of all these extra services. And he was like, oh, right. In this situation, I understand what you're saying. I understand that I'm actually providing infrastructure. So all of a sudden, by reframing what he was providing with this is part of infrastructure that more people need, he was actually open to the idea of not only receiving help and sort of like applying for all this money, but actually that we should actually start thinking as a society about how to provide this infrastructure and not necessarily the farmers having to pay for it. So those were two really small wins, but my ultimate win was when he actually looked at me and said, well, if I'm providing infrastructure, why am I speaking only to farming communities or why am I speaking only to the farming side of the government when an infrastructure is something that we should be discussing with the infrastructure ministry? So it actually opened up a huge amount of ideas for him in terms of what he could do and how to take responsibility for his farm. And I thought that, that was one, it was a beautiful thing to see, but two, it would be a really effective way for us to actually reach out to people who don't understand what we mean that don't necessarily know the lingo, and there's an awful lot of lingo involved, and also to open up opportunities for us to start thinking on which door should we be knocking, not necessarily only farming, but it's actually broader and just trying to bring as many people as we could into the system. Before I ended, I just wanted to invite you to go and talk to someone who you've been struggling to actually get these ideas across, who's actually not been able to understand it or that has even feel attacked by these ideas and use their words to actually try to express what it means. It's really, really effective. 
it's really beautiful because it creates community and it's also a great way for us to actually think from where they're coming from and that's the basics to actually be able to start creating change as a community and not just from the fringes. We were delighted to be joined by Martin Kennedy, a Highland farmer and the recently elected NFU Scotland president. He dives straight into the topics of climate change, the importance of biodiversity and of soil health. And he gives a really, really positive message of how agriculture is and needs to be part of the solution. Climate change and how we deal with it is something that will dictate our future for generations to come. If we choose to ignore it, then the future is bleak. But if we listen to the science, which is evolving all the time, then there will be a fantastic opportunity to maintain a sustainable future for all our species. From a farming and crofting perspective, there are three main topics at the top of the agenda, and they are all linked. Food production, climate change mitigation, and environmental enhancement. From a Scottish perspective, if we take a holistic approach to all three of these issues, and are given the right tools in the toolbox to address them, then we in Scotland will be in pole position to lead the world on how to reverse the current situation. In global terms, Scotland is already starting from a good position, but we need to recognise that more can be done. Scotland's topography dictates the vast diversity in methods of food production, from soft fruit and veg in our limited low fertile lands to sheep meat production from our highest mountains. And although this brings challenges in creating opportunities for each sector to play its part, in most cases, this can definitely be achieved. The agricultural sector is willing to change to highlight that instead of being seen as part of the problem, it is in fact part of the solution. However, this change will have to move faster to meet the targets set out by government, but at the same time will have to be managed in a way that still allows us to produce local, high-quality nutritious food in a profitable manner. If this is not managed carefully, then we will simply offshore our emissions by way of imports from other countries who do not share the same concerns for climate change or indeed the environment, not to mention the social economic impact this would have on many of our rural communities. So what can we do and what are the options? Well, there are some real easy wins here if we grab the bull by the horns. First of all, we need a change in agricultural support policy which is based on activity rather than simply the occupation of land. We have far too much land that is being neglected as a result of this system, as there is not enough incentive to improve on soil health, which not only helps the productivity of the farm, but makes a huge impact on the ability of the soil to hold more carbon through sequestration. The arable sector has led the way on soil health in Scotland, and a recent independent scientific report has highlighted that over the last 30 years, there has been no carbon loss from our soils in Scotland and our arable areas, which is something we are extremely proud of. That said, the sector is willing to add to this positive message by continuing to improve on soil health to increase carbon stocks. The greatest opportunity for improvement on soil health lies with the livestock sector, particularly beef and sheep. And I'll highlight what we have done at home here to improve on this in a moment. However, all too often this sector gets criticised for the damage caused through methane emissions. It is absolutely true that there are significant emissions of methane from ruminants such as cattle and sheep, and these emissions must be reduced. However, it must be recognised that methane is in fact a flow pollutant, not a stock pollutant. The difference being that a flow pollutant is part of a sequestration cycle through photosynthesis. So there is no overall increase in emissions. 
whereas carbon continues to build in the atmosphere and remains there for a few hundred years. This is very relevant from a Scottish perspective, and the 85% of our agricultural land is deemed a less favoured area, which makes anything other than livestock farming a real challenge and, in most cases, impossible. However, given our climatic conditions and our topography, we are extremely well placed to produce high quality protein through grazing livestock. This is also where my point earlier comes in with regard to taking a more holistic approach. As proper grazing management helps not only in terms of growing organic matter levels in the soil, which again helps with carbon capture, but has the added benefits of creating a better environment for biodiversity. Many conservation bodies will now tell you that to maintain a biodiverse environment, you must have a grazing management programme in place. Four years ago, we entered into a five-year programme of soil mapping the farm to see what the state of play was with levels of phosphate, potash and magnesium, and also measured the pH of the soil. The results have been incredible. We have discovered that we are extremely high in phosphate to the extent it would be affecting nutrient uptake of the plants. This was probably as a result of continuous applications of a 211 type fertiliser. Since then, and probably for a few years to come, we will only be applying a very limited amount of phosphate till we get back to a better balance. This has not only saved the business around £30 per tonne on fertiliser, but has improved the productivity of the soil. Time is not on our side, so if we want to lead from the front, we need to act now. Using science and technology is the way to drive change in all sectors of agriculture, to allow us to play our part in climate change mitigation. But this will require long-term government commitment. Finally, I'd like to share Cole Gordon's provocation. Cole is a farmer in Easter Ross, and he has been researching ecological approaches to growing grain for the past decade. He's currently undertaking an ambitious research project to identify overlooked varieties of grain that may have useful traits for low input agronomic systems and have desirable baking qualities. He challenges all the delegates to become seed custodians and showcases the power of stories and culture. So at this point in the year, a lot of folks here are going to be thinking about what veg you're going to plan to grow this year. So you'll be looking through the seed catalogues and the websites and you're going to be coming up with a plan. One of my personal go-to seed companies that I'll go to is one that I'm sure a lot of you will know about, and it's called Real Seed in the west of Wales. And uh, on their website, they sell a variety of veg seed that I'm just going to talk about a little bit. It's called the Sutherland Kale. And on their website, there's a wee story about it. So it goes like this. It says, in 2003, they were sent a packet of seeds from a woman called Vicky Schilling from Ullapool, um, with a note saying... I'm sending you some seeds of Sutherland kale given to me by an 80-year-old in Sutherland. It's an old variety grown by the crofters. We grew it last season and it's lovely. Very tender green leaves on plants that grow waist high, needs staking. Cooks just like spinach and lasts through the hungry gap. Then a couple of years later, they got a note, a follow-up note saying, the old lady the kale came from is Elizabeth Wolcombe of West Drummy in Sutherland. She is in fact 93. And her daughter has remembered where they got the Sutherland kale from. It was given to them by Angus Simmons about 50 years ago. He was doing research work on kale at Edinburgh University at the time. Lovely wee story. But I want to pick up on two points from this. Firstly, why do I need to go to a seed company in the west of Wales to get seed for Sutherland kale that was given to them from a lady in Ullapool? Seeds and seed breeding 
have become more and more and more centralized in the past decades. And now there are only a handful of commercial open pollinated seed producers left in the UK. And last time I checked, none of these were based in Scotland. Real Seeds themselves are just a tiny little company with only a few folks working for them. And what happens to our seed system, and indeed what happens to the Sutherland kale, if something happens to them? As it stands, our seed system is not a resilient one. And seeds, as we know, are one of the major pillars of a food system, whether that's a local food system or otherwise. Also here in the Highlands and Islands, our climate and our latitude and our topography and terrain is not the sort of thing that's likely to attract commercial seed breeding companies to spend resources growing for um, and breeding for. So I think we need to start thinking about taking matters somewhat into our own hands. I suggest that together we imagine developing a Highlands and Islands seed savers network. Seed saving is a real skill and it could maybe be seen as quite an intimidating craft to try to master. I can't imagine that we're just going to have out of nowhere a Highland version of real seed just popping up. So what I'm suggesting is something very different and potentially much more inclusive, participatory and networked. What I'm proposing is that if everyone here was to pick one single variety of one vegetable and learn everything they could about how to grow that seed and save that seed and become its seed keeper. If everyone at the conference today were to do this, immediately we'd have a network of 82 different vegetable varieties here in the Highlands and the Islands with its very own seed custodian. So I'm gonna come back to that story of the Sutherland kale for a second and pick up on my second point about it. And that is that the Sutherland kale came with a story. Every seed comes with its stories. Seeds in many ways are the embodiments of a culture that they have developed in. There's all sorts of histories of migration, of struggle, of ingenuity, and of adaptation that are embedded into these little things. And they've got all sorts of traditions and celebrations associated with them. Seeds deserve to be repaired with their stories. So my provocation is that we create a network together where each of us becomes not only a custodian of a single variety of vegetable seed, but that we become that variety's appointed storyteller as well. I really hope that you've enjoyed that little snapshot of some of the highlights of the conference. It really was an amazing event that has definitely ignited a fire. The passion, energy and enthusiasm from all involved has been overwhelming. And when we started discussing the possibility of bringing people together across the Highlands to discuss the food system, we never imagined the interest and momentum that we see today. And since the conference, we have seen great progress not limited to, but including, the Highland Council have decided to fund a post of a community growing coordinator. The delegates have created their own networks, including a network of small farmers, discussing ways that they can work together. The Food Waste Circular Economy Group are progressing partnership opportunities with Zero Waste Scotland and Keep Scotland Beautiful. The Glasshouse sector are applying for funding to drive forward their business idea. And the Highland Good Food team are right in the thick of creating a Highland Good Food partnership to make sure everybody keeps working together under that vision. And if you'd like to find out more about the conference or any of the project groups, please visit highlandgoodfood.scot. Next month, we will be launching series two of the Highland Good Food podcast. So make sure you are signed up as a subscriber 